welcome to yet another episode of And When I Say I Mean, I am your host, Austin. And I am also your host, Adrian. Um, I, that introduction made this seem like the inevitable march of time or something. Uh, but <laughs> this is uh, just something we do for fun. So, welcome. Uh, I'm going to start with some a uh, story. Uh, uh, half a year ago, Austin. I was in Maryland, and I was driving to work. At this time, my car radio still worked. Um, it's, it's terrible now. Um, I can't pick up any stations. Uh, but I was listening to NPR, as I normally do, from Classic. Richmond. Um, because I was in southern Maryland. And I was listening to uh, the, the segment where they talk about money. And I'm it's, money talk. No, um, it's kind of like that, but it's in the morning. Don't um, they have a show called Money Talk? They do, yeah. But okay. there's like the the market report. Okay. Listening to market report, and they are talking about using um, literature and like classics to understand current economic trends. So then the radio cut out because it always cut out in this one part of where I was working. Uh, and then I was like, oh, shoot, I wanted to hear the rest of that story. Fortunately, it came on. I had to stop at a some light because it was 8 o'clock and the national anthem was playing. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but it was great because my radio picked back up NPR and the person was talking about using Tolstoy to understand why sanctions don't work against Russia. And I was like, whoa. This is awesome. And they like, uh, and in Engelbert, this is not the guy's real name, but it's NPR, so it was probably something like that. Um, could, do you think, do you really think that literature can be used to understand economic trends? And he said, well, yeah, of course. You can understand what it's like to be Russian uh, from reading their books and the, the works that they treasure more than you can by looking up facts about the country um so you can you can get a better understanding of how they how they want to interact what policies they respect and what like what they want out of life and um being a nation and being participating in the world so i said yes let's go victory for classic literature everyone should read war and peace let's go and then my dad had also listened to it um because he also listens to a lot of NPR, and we we talked about the station. I was reading lots of Russian books at the time, um, as I'm sure you will find shocking. So I'm very shocked. Today we're talking about Russia uh, and what they're doing right now and why they're doing it. Because, as you all know, potentially, I have read a lot of books by Russian people about Russian people. So, uh, according to Engel Engelbert, I am officially a foreign expert policy, yeah. uh, a Russian foreign expert policy. I, I think there's an opening for the um, Ukrainian ambassador, so there you go. Uh, Donald J. or Rex Tellerson, if you're listening, I am officially an expert. Um, yeah. So And our podcast already has a, a following in Ukraine. Yeah, so. in the Ukraine. Um, yeah, I would love to spend some time in Kiev. Uh, Nikolai Gogel was born there. Um, and he's considered the 
kind of really the father of the novel in Russia. So it'd be nice. it'd be fun. I I could read some of his Kievan works while I was there, serving as the ambassador. So, so anyways, do you, do you uh, agree with? I don't know if we want to go here, but. Do you agree with that statement that, like, by looking at the novels, you actually learn more about the information um, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. more about the country? So, for instance, um, this past weekend, as I was driving way too many hours to Pittsburgh, yep. um, I was listening to East of Eden, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is probably a classic American novel. Yeah. And as you were talking about that, I was like, wow, this does talk a lot about, like – what Americans care a lot about. Yep. Um, or like their values. Mm-hmm. For instance, like working hard to make money. Yep. And yeah. like farming. I absolutely agree. Um, like I think there's, there's a lot of good things about reading classic books. That's why I do it a lot. Um, for one, I think, I think it's fun. Um, and I think you can learn, truths about what it is to be just alive in general mm-hmm. um but i i also think more or not more importantly but more relevant to this discussion you you do learn what it's like to be alive at a certain time in a certain place mm-hmm. because kind of um without even trying or you know even if if they're being intentional about it they're they're biased to view these are the issues that we're talking about right now. So that's what's going to show up in the book. Because, um, mm-hmm. like, as much as people wish they could anticipate what's the political discussion going to be in 70 years, um, they can't. Um, so, and, like, a lot of... So War and Peace is written about... Uh, it's written in the 1860s or 70s. Um, and he's writing about the Napoleonic Wars. So, uh, 1811, 1812 is the kind of the climax of the novel. So he's writing about those times, but he's writing about it from a very, um, like his current day perspective. So he's, and like trying to interpret what it means to have lived through that as a, as a people. So I think what's great about where you get really great novels is where it's a time of change. So people are asking like, what does it even mean to be such and such? Like Mm -hmm. the American South after the civil war, they produce some great novels. Um, and a lot of them are like, what does it mean to be a Southerner? Um, how do we come to grips with kind of the, the national crisis that we've had Mm -hmm. or, um, like Russia in the 60s, they freed the serfs, so now what do they do? Um, yeah, like, how do they, do they still be czarists? Do they try to be more liberal? Um, how do they, they, like, what does it mean to be Russian? And I think that's still a very important question that's guided, that kind of undergirds a lot of uh, the tension and, like, the Russian side of, global politics they're they're still concerned about like what it what does it mean to be russian who is russian and what should our role be um i don't think that's really something the u.s considers a lot in their foreign policy but 
probably not. Yeah. Okay. Um, I I thought of as we were talking about that, mm-hmm. I thought of an interesting. It probably not for this episode, but maybe in the future. Do classic movies have the same effect as classic novels? Um, maybe. Well, maybe we'll we'll table that for a later discussion. Okay, so we're gonna we've already talked about a lot of things, but anyways, we're gonna dive into what I think is the main topic of this episode is what is going on with international relations specifically around Russia mm-hmm. what's happening so i'm going to as as we've already I am proclaimed an in this ep- episode austin is a certified expert so i'm going to ask the certified expert some questions okay austin yeah what is happening right now surrounding russia specifically mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna say specifically in Syria. Give us a little bit of a sure background on what's happening. So, uh, in like 2011, the Arab Spring happened. Uh, so that was a time of democratic, uh, liberal reform. Liberal not being like the American ideological sense, but in like mm-hmm. people should be free sense. Um, so lots of liberal and democratic changes were happening in North Africa and the Middle East. Um, and you had a, the U.S. involved in um, a number of regime changes, uh, probably most importantly in Libya and the ousting of Muammar Gaddafi, um, who was later uh, killed by Libyan people um, as he was trying to flee the country. So... Uh, Putin was very worried about this um, because so he he sees that intervention as um, just regime change instituted by the U.S. um, under the guise of trying to protect human rights. The U.S. is just interested in whatever Libya has. They want a a more American-friendly regime. Let's take out the leader, plant our own leader there. We'll take whatever Libya's got. So um, Putin is worried, and then a similar thing starts happening in Syria. Um, Syria starts to kind of dissolve into civil war. It's a very, I don't want to say it's an interesting civil war, um, but the beginning is very weird and interesting because a lot of the fighters are promoting themselves via social media to mm. try to get funding from different governments. So it's it's like a, a weird promo war game type thing. Yeah. Um, Like Kickstarter rebel group. Um, So anyway, that's that's interesting, but um, not to diminish the fact that like millions of people have died or been displaced. Um, Syria is like basically entirely destroyed at this point. Um, People are still dying and being bombed to this day um, in Syria. So, the U.S. Uh, under the Obama administration didn't do a lot um, to try to oust uh, Assad, who is the current president, um, even after he his use of chemical weapons. Um, so Russia decided to intervene uh, to keep Assad from being toppled by um, 
U.S.-backed rebels, U.S.-backed Turkish fighters, and U.S.-backed Kurdish fighters. Um, so bolstering Assad in order to defeat ISIS. So ISIS is uh, a group of Islamic fundamentalists who want to set up their own state and kind of carve it out of Iraq and Syria. Um, so I, I hope you know about ISIS because um, they've been pretty important for a long time. Uh, but so Russia said we're going to defeat ISIS, um, and they kind of they kind of did. Um, earlier this no, the end of last year, they declared victory over ISIS. Um, they said we've been just bombing them, and it's been working. They hold basically no territory anymore. Um, Assad and his Syrian government, we've defeated ISIS. America has also been bombing ISIS. I was going to say, did didn't. America just declared victory over ISIS recently. Yeah, um, but uh, we're we're doing a a Russian centered okay view of things. Um, so they defeat ISIS. Kudos to them. Uh, and so now they've they've been much more involved in the Middle East than they have been for some time. Um, so they were just uh, like negotiating peace between Iran and Israel who had been having skirmishes because everyone's kind of backing terrorists in like the ruins of what were once Iraq and Syria. Um, I'm sure there's some like some stability somewhere in there, but there's not much. Mm-hmm. Um, so they came to bigger blows and Russia kind of settled things down. Um, Erdogan, who is the now president slash dictator of Turkey. Um, he was talked down from fighting U.S.-backed Kurdish forces. So the U.S. is backing the Kurds and the Turks. They were fighting each other. So Russia kind of calmed things down there. So Russia is now, as the article that we're, we're nominally talking about, link is in the, in the episode description, uh, nice. is... Um, Russia is is once again a great power, or Russia is a great power once again on the Atlantic as usual. Um, so that the kind of their premise is Russia has stepped into this power broker role in the Middle East. Um, oh, other context: they started a civil war in Ukraine and then invaded slash. The Crimea seceded, right. and is now it's now part of Russia, but is not recognized by any like external country as being part of Russia. Okay, so that was a lot of history, and yep. I hope people are following along. That that's not even history, folks. That's just as current events. Well, I mean, just anything that's happened ooh. in the past is history. Uh, Anyways, as current events. Okay, so what what is, as the expert, yep. what are the motivations of Russia right now? Why mm-hmm. are they doing these things? Why are they backing certain groups? Why are they invading the Ukraine? Yep. What, what is their motivation? So I'm going to go back. We'll go back to real history. Uh, we have the Slavophile and the Westernizer movement of the mid-1800s. And so 
this is again what do we want russia to be do we want russia to be more like europe or do we want russia to be its own thing which is great you're speaking from a russian perspective yeah so the westernizers they say let's be more like europe because europe's got its act together um we're an embarrassing backwater we want to be taken seriously on the the world stage we want to be an actual member of europe and not just some medieval feudal state like they basically were um, because they had, you know, serfs and Mm -hmm. such. Uh, So they say, let's bring in European culture. Let's bring in uh, the aristocracy. Let's let's be Europe. Um, Peter the Great is the most famous westernizer. Um, He's a czar uh, from the uh, early 1700s, I think. other famous westernizers include I'm going to say famous but I I assume no one will recognize any of their names uh Ivan Turgenev who I mentioned I think I mentioned last week Yeah the name sounds familiar Yeah or Turgenev uh he as I said wrote the Uncle Sa- uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin of That's Russia right. I thought he was a character from a novel No he is a he's a real person Right uh other famous westernizers include um Alexander Herzen, which I'm sure none of you know, and uh, Belinsky, who was a famous literary critic at the time. Uh, so they say, let's be more like Europe because they know what they're doing, and we're, we're embarrassing. Russia has kind of had a long-standing inferiority complex, uh, especially to the West. Mm-hmm. Um, they see themselves as, as backwards, but also better in some ways. So the the Slavophiles, so Slavs are the the ethnic group that make up most of uh, the Western Russian population, as well as some people living in the Balkans. Um, so if you remember World War One, uh, Russia is allied with um, the the Serbs. The, like the people in Serbia, mm-hmm. uh, because they're all Slavic people. So there's right. the pan-Slavic movement. Anyway, um, the Slavophiles are like, let's not be like Europe because they're a bunch of heartless people who are not spiritual. Let's be our own great thing. Russia's awesome. Let's be Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's so um, people famous. Slavophiles like Dostoevsky said Russia is really going to be the savior of the world. Um, we've kept the church, we've kept our faith, we've been separate and pure from R- Europe. We're great. We're going to save the world because we're Russia, and we're awesome. So, I there's uh, the new philosophical movement which uh, Putin is a fan of is um, called Eurasianism which says, okay, we're not Asia, we're not Europe, we're this Russian area, and we're awesome, we're going to be Russia, and the people who aren't technically Russia, just because we've lost some wars, they're still mm-hmm. Russia, they're with us, and we're not Europe, we're not Asia, we're our own thing, and we have the the right to run this part of the world, Um we we need to bring back all the Slavic people who are, you know, spread across what's now Europe, 
Um, and we need to be awesome again. So I, I think that's a lot of Putin's motivation. He, like that same kind of inferiority complex is there where he says he feels like he's worse but at the same time better than the West. So I'm attributing a lot of this to Putin, which may seem like a fallacy and great man interpretation of history to some, but he is kind of the dictator, so I stand by that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so basically, if I, I'm going to try to summarize here. Mm-hmm. Russia, for centuries at this point, yeah, is trying to identify itself, trying to figure out, okay, who are we? Are we a part of Europe? Are we a part of Asia? Um, Are we our own thing? Um, And it sounds like right now, well, actually, kind of for a long time, maybe, they've really kind of settled in that they're just their own thing. That's what they want to be. They don't want to be Europe. They don't want to be Asia. They want to be their own thing. And so that's what they're striving for. So how is... So then I guess, like, how is what they're doing trying to push forward that goal? Yep. So if we look at the the annexation of Crimea, for example, uh, Crimea and Ukraine, they have been Russian for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, they were part of the Russian Empire from the 1600s to 1917 uh, when the Russian Empire was dissolved and it was the... USSR, and then Ukraine was part of the USSR. Um, So some people in Ukraine and in Russia say, I don't know why Ukraine isn't Russia, because they're basically the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And lots of eastern Ukraine is Russian-speaking. The borders, there's a river that runs through Kiev that kind of splits the country into east and west, and you have a lot of Russian speakers, a lot of people who like identify as Russian in the eastern half of Ukraine. And then people who are more like, let's be part of NATO and trade with Europe and be part of the EU in the, the eastern half or the western half of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So Crimea is an important city. There was a war fought on it called the Crimean War, uh, 1854. Um, so it's it's a important place for Russia because it gives them a a port that doesn't freeze for half the year. Looking at you, Saint Petersburg. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important strategically, and it's it's um, got a lot of like historical connection to Russia. So it's kind of there's a lot of nostalgia for the the USSR. Um, it's like it's kind of in a weird way it's kind of like make america great again it's like hey remember when we were awesome remember when the world feared us and we like ran half of it let's do that again uh let's let's be let's be russia let's have our own influence our sphere of influence is how they would say it right mm-hmm. um so they're kind of with crimea it's like Let's see what we can get away with. We're trying to bring people back into the motherland, um, into the Russian fold. Let's see what we can do without repercussions. Um, 
because like it, it's inevitable right there's quotes right. air quotes there these places are russia and it's our duty um or our right to control them and care for them kind of mm-hmm. So, so my next question is, I'm not sure what my next question is. I kind of have two questions. Okay. But, um, ask them. Well, I think I'm just going to ask one of them. Mm. Um, do, so I, I am, I am speaking for an American. I was going to say good. all of America, but I'm going to at least speak that would be for ambitious. one American. Right. Though I am a Russian you expert are, right, today, so, so. but that's okay. You can speak Everything for all of goes. Um, I I am not an American expert, so I can't speak for all. Of them, but I'm going to speak for myself. Um, should I be concerned um, about what is happening? I I think so. Um, and why? Uh, yeah, I think you should be concerned because. So I kind of see things as the Crimean War right now so um during the crimean war uh the ottoman empire because that was still a thing at the time Mm -hmm. was known as the sick man of europe um so people were like okay the ottoman empire is kind of falling apart let's let's just take it over bit by bit because that's that's what you did it was 1850 that was that was what you did when people were weak you just kind of conquered them uh so russia was like we're, we're right here. Uh, let's just conquer Turkey, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but France and England said, uh, we don't really want that. So right now, uh, Russia is kind of the superpower of the world. They had defeated uh, Napoleon and had conquered France. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were kind of, people were for a long time assuming the Russian army is unstoppable. They've just got way too many people. Mm-hmm. You can never invade Russia. Right. Um, but so now the the British and the French teamed up to fight the Russians, the Russians in Crimea, and the Russians lost. And it was uh, very embarrassing for them, um, as losing wars tend to be, I guess. I don't mm-hmm. know if embarrassing is the right word, but that's what it's seen as. Because um, it's like, oh, okay, Russia is not as big as they think they are. Right. So I, f- I feel like the situation would be like that. If we, if we stood up to Russia in a direct confrontation, I don't think it would be much of a problem. Uh, like they would lose, but, uh, it's not 1854 anymore. Mm-hmm. So there's more, much, many more nukes now in the world. Um, there's a lot more artillery and, just bigger bombs and weapons. Mm-hmm. So there, there's any war with Russia or confrontation with Russia is kind of catastrophic. Um, yeah. Lots of people die. Uh, maybe nukes are involved. So I think the problem is Russia knows this. Um, mm-hmm. So they can kind of be more brash in trying to slowly poke away at the West. Like, look at our election, right? Uh, Like, it's clear at this point that Russia tried to just sow chaos into our election and undermined our trust and our 
our system and our democratic principles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's 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 bold and brazen. Um, that's like it's basically an attack on our government and the way we govern. But like there hasn't really been any repercussions. Like sanctions were passed, but n- they're not being enforced as we've recently learned um, by our dear president. Uh, so yeah, I th- I think the worry is. Russia is clearly not afraid to continue prodding at things mm-hmm. to support dictators who the U.S. wants to oust um, at the cost of, like, thousands of lives in Syria. Mm-hmm. Um, they're willing to try to undermine elections in France and Britain and Germany, I think, and definitely the U.S. Um, they're willing to like start a civil war in Ukraine. Um, And I don't know where that willingness stops because like there's been increased sanctions, but that hasn't, that hasn't changed anything. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if Russia is not willing to stop, if they're going to keep doing these things, they're not good things. Um, So how do we, how do they stop? And if we're forced to stop them, it's not going to end well. Right. Okay. So now I'm going to speak on behalf of our listeners. Who okay. I can already hear before this has been even produced. But we've been talking for Good. a half hour now about Russia, Russian mm. history, current affairs. I want to say I do not support the Russian government in any way. Uh, okay. they're kind of monsters, but I do love Russian culture and literature. So, uh, that just so like, if that's CIA a, was listening. yeah. Okay. Or like if I have a background check coming up, okay. just a disclaimer. Do you think they would listen to our podcast? I don't know. Don't I, know either. I mean, that seems like a good thing to do. Probably. Anyways. So I'm speaking on behalf of the listener who I can hear saying, who cares? Look, guys, <laughs> why do I care about this? Um, I've, you guys have been talking about nonsense for 30 minutes now. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. does this affect me? Why do I care? Why should I keep listening to the rest of this episode yep. and not just turn it off right now? Are you asking me this question? Yeah. Okay. Great question, hypothetical listener. I, I think it's important to say, okay, I've talked a lot about history and philosophies and, like, making assumptions about how they're guiding people. Uh, but I, th- I think that's kind of important. Um, the only, w- w- like, history is not like science. Uh, you can't do experiments. You can't test things and say, okay, this is what's going to happen if this happens. So really the only way we can get a good idea of what's going to happen next is things that have already happened. Um, like if you... If you look at the Constitution, uh, Madison, in his just ridiculously long argument for structuring the Constitution, he looked at history and looked at constitutional um, governments, how long they last, republics, how long they last, what are their failures, what are their successes, and like uh, built the Constitution around what worked and what didn't, like avoiding what didn't work. Mm-hmm. And... Um, United, like, the United States of America is 
I think it's the longest lasting republic in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so history is not a perfect guide. No situation is going to be exactly the same as the other. But um, if you can find similarities and say, okay, if we're headed in this direction or if we could be headed in this direction, what do we need to do to avoid outcomes that we don't want? Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's important to consider uh, not just just facts, like hard facts, but how people think, how people feel. Um, And I'm going to talk about war and peace. Um, Tolstoy says when you fight a battle, it's not most important who has guns and cannons because guns and cannons don't fight a battle. Generals don't fight the battle. It's the people who are on the field running at each other and shooting each other who fight the battle. And whoever decides that they're going to lose are the people who lose. Um, That's not true in every case. Um, So so he calls it the spirit of the army. Um, So I, I think the spirit of the times... Wow, I guess that's the zeitgeist. Um, <laughs> that's the exact... Wow, okay, I did not try that. The zeitgeist, <laughs> I guess, um, really does affect things. Um, if, Yeah, the way people think about things affects how they behave, mm-hmm. whether, they are, whether they're intending it or not. So it's important to look at the history of thought and just history in general to try to see what's going to happen, and, like, are we okay with what's happening or not? Right. Yeah, because it's, um, it's you know, like, if you don't learn your history, you're doomed to repeat it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and so we'll just keep asking more questions. Sure. Uh, my next, my question is, and I think this is just kind of more of a broader broader discussion maybe, and who knows if we even have the answer. But how do we – where's the balance? We're going to talk about balance again between seeing what's happening mm-hmm. in Syria, for example, where there's chemical weapons being used, civilians being killed indiscriminately. Where's the balance of – stepping into that situation as a nation yep and saying you know we don't want to potentially start another world war with russia like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is that is that even where the balance is like should it even be a question does that come into play in this scenario that's going on right now uh it does uh, but i don't know how we answer that because right. it's it's a mess of um, like national sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Well, like um, when when do nations have the right to or the obligation to intervene for the people of another nation? That's right. that's been a discussion that's been going on for centuries. Like, is there a just war? Um, and how can you be justified in fighting other people? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not going to try to answer that. I'm not an expert in that. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's hard. Um, because as we are, as we are more involved in Syria under the Trump administration than we were in the Obama administration. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the Trump administration is much more hawkish than the Obama administration. What do you so mean by that? Hawkish is, uh, I think it was coined in like the 1810s uh, or like the 18 knots uh, for the people in Congress who really wanted to fight uh, Great Britain before the War of 1812. Mm-hmm. Uh, Henry Clay, I think, is the most famous hawk. Um, so uh, the Trump administration is much more willing to um, commit fighters and weapons to foreign situations than the Obama administration is. So mm-hmm. uh, that's led to ISIS being kind of demolished, but uh, more, much more recently it's led to clashes between Russian mercenaries, which is basically the Russian army that's being paid by definitely not the Russian government. Uh, that's sarcasm. Right. Um, I was going to ask if to there fight were in Syria. winks there. Yeah. Um, so uh, those mercenaries have killed American soldiers, and then we bombed them back. So, like, we've killed, like, Americans and U.S. Or, no, Americans and Russians have killed each other in Syria now mm-hmm. um, because we've been more involved. So, yeah, nukes make things harder yeah. uh, because the the risk is so high. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, and that's, uh, yeah, that's, I'm sure, ongoing debate. Right. For people who actually make decisions, um, I hope it's an ongoing debate because, like, the lives of the people in Syria are important. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a, it's like that question of do you lower the – or, like, do you switch the tracks to kill your son to save right. 10 people or whatever? Um, like, is the risk to the world – um, worth intervening more in Syria, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know. Yeah, yeah it's, I don't know either. It's a it's a tough decision, right? Because you definitely you definitely can't turn a blind eye to those things that are yeah. going on. So but, interestingly, yeah. the article um, says because Russia is stepping in, it's now they're they're the ones responsible. Mm-hmm for the well-being of the people in Syria. Um, but, I like, it's that's nice for us living in the U.S. We're like, oh, Russia is to blame for all these people who are dead. Right. right. Um, but I don't know if we really want to give the responsibility of the, the people of Syria to Russia because Russia is not great with taking care of people, mm-hmm. um, just historically. Right. So, I, I don't know. Do you have any more questions? Um, not by the top of my head. That's pretty much all of my questions. I still, yeah, I can still hear the listeners saying, "Why do we care?" But I think I think we care because a there are innocent people that are getting caught in the crossfire. Yeah. 
and B, there is potential. It it it, it may be closer to home sooner mm-hmm. than sooner than we think. Um, uh, yeah, and I don't want to like promote fear. Like, don't no, don't hide under your desks, being like, oh, some podcast that I listened to said the end of the world is coming. Like, if a podcast tells you that, just ignore it. Right. Um, We're part of the advocate. internet, so don't um, listen to the internet. Unless it's like Putin's podcast or something. If he has one, that would be very interesting. That sounds amazing. That's worth a listen. Um, so other than that, uh, I feel like it's safe to ignore. Um, but, uh, you know, you kind of get to the heart of a lot of things by asking hard questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think this is a hard question that, you know, we, we, we need to grapple with as a country, right. um, as, and as individuals, like what, mm-hmm. if you have, yeah, I don't want to quote spider-man but i'm going to like if you have power what is your responsibility for using that power Mm -hmm. yeah and i think too like what's the point it's yeah it's not necessarily to be fearful or to even like i mean think about it but you don't have to like try to answer the question definitively but also just like be informed yeah. Understand what's going on in the world so that you can like, gain information, be able to take in information, um, try to understand it from the other side, understand where the Russians are coming from. Um, and then and also and then understand the people in Syria who are just mm-hmm. caught in the middle mm-hmm. of this um, and, and allow those things to make um, to basically help you get to your conclusion and your answer. And then like we were saying at the end of um, last week's episode about Black Panther, just like if there's hard questions being answered, be willing to discuss or being asked, be willing to discuss those things. Um, I don't think that, I mean, we're sitting here and telling you we don't have a definitive answer. So I don't think that we necessarily have to come to a definitive answer, but it's not going to, we're not going to get any closer to an answer by not discussing them. Yeah. By not bringing up these questions of, you know, he, what what's right for humanity um so yeah i think that's kind of again the the goal of this is is just gain information so that you can be you can make informed decisions mm-hmm. yeah history is big numbers and uh, big ideas and stuff but it's also the lives of right billions of people um and each of them is, you know, important. So, all right. Uh, do you have any recommendations for us this week? Drastically changing, yeah, changing gears. Drastic. Um, my recommendation. So the other weekend, I don't know when it was. Probably maybe two or three weekends ago, I watched. Um, Blade Runner 2049. Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? I was going to say yep. 2048, but it's 2049. 2048 is the... Is that game. Is the game. The iPhone game. Um, so that's my recommendation. Um, I also recommend that you watch the very first, the original Blade Runner. Um, fun fact, there is a unreleased Secret podcast, podcast. Secret podcast. Our very first podcast ever that 
is not on the internet anywhere was discussing it was yeah um was discussing the original blade runner um basically at the end of that we decided that it was a good movie even though we didn't really know what was going on yeah um and a lot of people i know do not like that movie um but i think linking it to what we've been talking about lately i think what makes it a great movie is it's because it's asking difficult questions Mm -hmm. um so anyway so my recommendation watch the original one it's gonna be pretty brutal probably if you end up watching it um but it's it's actually pretty good and then watch blade runner 2049 which is one of the rare sequels that makes the the first movie better um you'll get to it or you'll watch it and you'll be like wow i actually kind of like the first one even better Mm now Mm -hmm. um and not only that it's just well done um ryan gosling is fantastic as normal and the cinematography is also wonderful and um just as a warning you will need to set aside like a good six hours yeah they are both very long movies the second one is longer than the first i think but but yeah you'll probably if you end up watching it you'll probably be like what am i watching this is the stupidest thing ever but you just gotta fight through that sometimes yeah you gotta fight through that and think about what are the questions it's asking that's that's the challenge if you watch it don't get caught up on why is what's going on because I'm very confused because you will be confused. But think about the questions that it's asking mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then talk about it with somebody. So that's my recommendation, the first and the new Blade Runner. All right. I think it's a book too, but I don't uh, know how the book It's is. a short story called uh, Do Androids Dream of Electronic Sheep? I like that. Um, Anyways. It's a loose adaptation from what I hear. Not surprising. Austin, recommendations. Yeah, so I, f- I felt obligated to recommend something from Russian literature. Uh, so I, I will. Um, I read uh, a poem by Mikhail Lermontov called uh, Sad and Bored. It's classic Lermontov, um, and it's, like, devastating, mm-hmm. but it's great. Um uh, his his most famous novel, The Hero of Our Time, is also very good. Um, also devastating, but it's great. Um, and then some other recommendations. I read some of uh, Shakespeare's sonnets, and they're really great. Um, like, they're short, so you don't need to set aside six hours to read one. Yeah. Um, but they're just like... They're like searing. Uh, the the ones like the one just ends. It's like, don't die single, or your image dies with you, or something. Like, I was like, wow, Shakespeare, wow. not holding back. Mm-mm. He never has. So, um, yeah. So they're good. Uh, so recommend those. Some poems. Awesome. M- mixing it up a bit. Yeah, just a little bit. But you still got the Russian, so that's good. Yep. Yep. All right, hopefully you made it through this episode and didn't get too caught down in the weeds. And remember, I'm an expert, so... Austin is an expert, and government officials, if you're out yeah. there listening... 
Oh, if you're doing a background check. Yeah. For example. Background check. Hire this man. Yeah. Ukrainian ambassador. Ukrainian ambassador. You'd probably have to learn to speak. Speak Russian. Yeah. Russian. Yeah. Um. Though I feel like someone is better than no one. You would think. Anyway. Anyways. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. See you next week.